Hello, welcome to A Rock or Something podcast. I'm Specialist Linwood Thomas, and today we'll be speaking about Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. I am here with a couple of guests. Uh, guests, could you get, introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Major Demetrius Pittman. I'm a clinical psychologist. And Chaplain Mark Lowe, uh, Chaplain Captain Mark Lowe. I am a clinical chaplain, so. Okay, uh, so as I said before, it is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. Um, I'm just gonna start off with a couple of statistics. Uh, the CDC uh, reports that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. for all ages. Um, every day, approximately 123 Americans die by suicide. Uh, there's one death by suicide in the U.S. every 12 minutes, roughly. Um, and according to the Pentagon's Defense Suicide Prevention Office, in 2018, 325 military service members committed suicide, surpassing the previous record of 321 in 2012. Um, so, Let's talk about um, what are some of the warning signs of someone who may be contemplating suicide. Take that one. I thought I would let you take that one. Okay. <laughs> um, so some of the warning signs that a lot of people um, need to kind of be aware of are if this person's you know has a sudden change in kind of mood or behavior. So if they go from being you know, happy to suddenly being sad, um, you know, having a lot of anger outbursts, those kind of sudden changes, you can kind of see a change in that person's personality. Other things that, you know, a lot of people are usually kind of told is that the person really starts like giving a lot of things away, some of their prized possessions, you know, giving those things away, you want to be kind of concerned about them as well. If they even start talking about death and suicide, that's a definite warning sign that um, they are thinking about suicide. So you want to kind of make sure that you Ask the person a question and get them to help. Dramatic change in um, in their character in some way, shape, or form, and just like the doc said, a lot of times giving giving things away, uh, even something as simple as if maybe I was going to my sea hut and instead of saying see you later, if I said bye, uh, something as simple as that, I've known of people to prevent suicides on something like that. Sometimes it's not as easy, but it, it may be something as simple as that. Okay, a couple of re the reasons um, that um, I have also listed are um, feeling hopeless, uh, feeling rage, uncontrolled anger, seeking revenge, um, experiencing dramatic mood changes, with, which is something you alluded to, um, seeing no reason for living or having no sense of purpose in life. Um, can you uh, talk a little bit about um, what those type of behaviors look like? I will say when you touched on something just a minute ago, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Doc, but um, sometimes somebody who might have had some of those similarities, been moody or upset, and they still have the issues going on in their life, and suddenly they're completely calm and they're like, no, everything's fine. That is also, sadly, that's a warning sign. I know that sounds sounds um, uh, diminutive, but sometimes it's it's something as simple as that somebody who has had a difficult emotional time and suddenly it's like they're at peace but nothing has changed uh, none of their circumstances have changed they haven't gone to behavioral health or the chaplain and gotten help and suddenly they say no everything's okay 
by Thomas, you know, something like that. And then, and that's really something to worry about. <clears throat> right, yeah, exactly. So, you know, again, it kind of, the person has given up. They've, they've kind of lost hope. So hopelessness is a big factor for us. So a lot of times when people um, start feeling like they're feeling suicidal or thinking about suicide, is that they don't think there's another option. And so, as we're saying, you start seeing those changes in mood where the person um, is not acting the same, they may start you know, withdrawing from, uh, you know, personal conversations, kind of isolating, you may, they just kind of disappear. And as they are just kind of sitting in that sadness and they're not thinking that there's another kind of way out. And so again, if you start seeing those kind of drastic changes, you're like, hey, where did such and such go? They're not coming around anymore. You know, they're not laughing as much as they used to. Now the smallest little thing just maybe sets them off. You really just kind of want to, you know, check in to see what's going on, um, see if they are thinking about um, the future. Um, and same thing when he said that, that feeling of just kind of, you know, everything's okay now when nothing has changed. Again, they've kind of lost hope and they're like, well, I got my solution. I'm not even gonna worry about um, trying to fix whatever's going on because my solution will be, I'm just gonna kill myself. And now they kind of have that peace because that's, the, that's their solution for everything. Yeah. So. Again, if you know, so one of the things is the theme for Suicide Awareness Month uh, this year is make it your mission to be there. So the big thing is being there for your buddies, being there for your friends, your family, so you can know when they're changing, and that's a really big thing. Okay, um, so in my research, I did come across uh, some risk factors that are uh, military service specific. Um, in your experience, um, what risk factors do you see that are specific to those that are serving in the military? You were just sent an email out on one. Oftentimes, uh, what I've seen is, is a dramatic change in someone's life, um, divorce, uh, infidelity, um, uh, a great many things like that, and, and often, uh, or, or again, I'm National Guard, not active duty, so I see a lot of times when there's joblessness or uh, just a dramatic life change that, that's, that's changing somebody. And oftentimes, but oftentimes, it's accompanied by um, alcoholism or drug abuse. Uh, oftentimes, it's accompanied by an escapism, and at some point, I think, I'm guessing that becomes not enough for the person, so they choose a way out, uh, which is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. <laughs> Uh, which is suicide. Let me not not say the word. That's the other thing is to be willing to say the word. Hey, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about committing suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? Don't be afraid to use those words when you're talking to somebody. Is it surprising how open people will be when when they're considering that? Yeah, I think yeah, kind of what you're saying. Yeah, using the actual words. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? Because a lot of people want to sugarcoat it and say hurting yourself, and it's like you know, just use the words so you can get the clear-cut answer. Um, other risk factors too, is, you know, financial problems. So um, definitely having financial struggles. People again say, hey, I'm I'm losing hope. I'm just gonna kill myself and have my family collect my insurance, those types of things, because like we can't dig ourselves out of this hole. Um, you mentioned, you know, uh, family concerns, right? Divorce, infidelity, uh, separation. So one of the big things with the military is we are separated a lot compared to the civilian population. You know, we have deployments, we have TDYs, we have 
tons of military training that just pop up, ALC, BLC, name it, right? And that kind of puts a strain on the family and on your, be able to form close relationships. And so that's a really big um, factor for the military. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> what you said in reference to um, put getting out in front of it and um, actually saying the word suicide. How does that create um, the environment that you need to have open discussions? Again, kind of like I said, right, is we, the, the theme for Suicide Awareness uh, Month for 2019 is make it your mission to be there. So I think when you really put a, uh, like the words to the action, you know, and you really talk to people and you can have those open, honest conversations, people really think, you know, they can see that you are concerned and that you want to be there for them. And so if you kind of, you know, kind of go around the subject, people have the option to, to lie or not be as truthful. But if you can just really say, hey, I'm concerned, you count, you're looking a certain way, are you thinking about killing yourself? people can say, oh, no, 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 I may have had some thoughts, but I'm not going that far. And it can just kind of open the conversation up to kind of what are you thinking then, because I noticed X, Y, and Z. And I have noticed that the being open about the words that you use, going saying the word suicide, saying the word killing yourself, uh, it does open people up. And I, and I find that often that people will open up and say, oh, no, I did last year during my divorce, or I did previously, but I don't now. Or sometimes you get the shock factor and they actually do open up and confess that yes, they, were, they are thinking about it. But uh, really, it really creates a much more open dialogue to, to go ahead and use the words instead of, uh, we've been taught so, so long that this is such a taboo subject, we skirt around it, but go ahead and use the words. Say, hey, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? So, um my thoughts, I guess, um, is it safe to say um, that when you're in that position, you may feel like there's not um, anywhere you can go or anywhere you can turn to, and then just jumping right out in front of it actually creates that space. Is that safe to say? Yeah, again, yeah, people, so like I said, hopelessness is a big factor for suicide, right? So people don't think that there's anyone there that anyone can help. And so again, when you lay it on the table, there's like, oh crap, yeah. And it kind of just opens that space that, you know, maybe I am thinking about that, but now someone has mentioned it and now I can kind of maybe see if I can roll back and they know that someone's concerned about me. Okay, um, so militaryonesource.mil um, says that being a young unmarried male is a risk factor for um, service members. Um, being in behavioral health, why would you say that that is? So that age range, I usually give like the 18 to 25 year old, young, unmarried male, right? So 18 to 25 year olds tend to be a little bit more impulsive, right? They're, we know just biologically, they're actually frontal lobe, the part of your brain that kind of tells you to kind of slow down and think things through. It's actually not as fully developed, which is why they make really good soldiers, because we can, they can run into things without thinking too much about it, so we love that. But um, having, so they tend to be a little bit more impulsive, and so they have the idea, right? They don't um, roll it back as much, and so it's like, look, I'm thinking about hurting myself. I have this gun right here, or I'm gonna go drive fast in this car, and they end up doing those types of things. And again, also with that, like I was talking about with that kind of hopelessness space, if when they're young, they're unmarried, they may not have, uh, you know, a wife to be thinking about, or, you know, a, 
kids to be thinking about. And so when the ideal comes, it doesn't fit. Well, I'm just by myself. No one's going to miss me. Again, it kind of feeds into that hopelessness idea. And they just kind of push forward without really thinking about all the consequences. Um, another uh, factor that Military One Source uh, cites is uh, grief from loss. Now, in a combat situation uh, for a service member, we do see um, that type of thing. We, we lose, we first off get really close to people um, in austere environments uh, very quickly, um, and sometimes that, that leads to injury or death. Uh, talk about how uh, being placed in those type of situations um, leads to thoughts like that. I'll stop with you. Grief used, <laughs> grief used to come to the chaplain before they come to me. This, so. this, is, this is true. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe it's just, the, the for one, the austere environments, and you're away from all your normal coping mechanisms. You know, when you're back home, you have uh, certain members of your family, certain friends. Uh, some people, you know, and I don't... Because it because alcoholism or, or drug abuse often go with suicide, I don't want to say, but you might have your local bar where your friends hang out, all of your normal coping mechanisms are gone. Not only that, then you're also under a great deal of stress. And then when you add in uh, something that's 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 life changing, uh, live fire, friends getting hurt, friends getting killed. Like you said, we do adhere to each other much quicker. Uh, friendships and bonds. There there is a quote, and I find it to be absolutely true. Whether I'm working at the VA or working with soldiers, there's a bond that is closer than blood that some of us who wear the uniform feel. Uh, and so when we lose somebody, sometimes we just lose hope, and especially in an austere environment where we don't have our normal coping mechanisms, maybe you don't see the chaplain or the psychologist on a regular basis, and we just feel like there's just nothing more we can do because we're in that austere environment. To me, uh, that's when hopefully somebody will say, hey, go see the chaplain, hey, go see the doc. Um, talk to somebody and I, I, I'm praying and I, th I think we I'd like to think we have gotten rid of the stigma that used to be because I'm an old soldier as you can see by my hair um, there was a stigma where you didn't go seek help you didn't go seek counseling you didn't go see somebody unless you just wanted to end your career and I think over the past 20 years we have gotten rid of that stigma and now people say hey I really want you to go talk to the chaplain I really want you to go talk to that but uh, but yeah I think the I think it's the coping mechanisms that we normally have that we don't have and we probably don't appreciate them until we get overseas and okay uh, combat related psychological injuries and um, mental health or medical health problems are another uh, risk factor that, that are two other risk factors listed. Um, in behavioral health, have you uh, run into soldiers um, that have suffered from uh, those type of injuries um, and, and seen them kind of trail down that path? Yeah, so right now they estimate between probably like 10 and 20% of service members who've been in like the deployed or combat situation uh, will probably be diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so with that uh, disorder, so a lot of times you, you, you've experienced some kind of traumatic experience, um, situation where your life is in danger and you tend to have you know, nightmares, flashbacks, a lot of anger, anxiety that goes with that. And 
also you may have lost um, fellow uh, service members, fellow buddies. And so because of all those kind of chaotic um, emotions that individuals experience, it tends to make them, one of the symptoms is avoiding um, people, withdrawing from people. And so it's all those same risk factors and warning signs that we've kind of mentioned before. And so if people don't um, seek out and get help, it, it leads them into that spiral where they do become hopeless and they do just feel like they can't do anything. They can't form those close relationships and they tend to sometimes think about suicide and even commit suicidal behavior. So we know individuals with any kind of past um, mental health issues, they tend to have a higher rate and a higher chance of suicide. Then you also mentioned even medical problems. So again, you know, because we've been doing, we've been in war for a very long time now, right? Um, a lot of people who have deployed multiple times, they may have also experienced some, some, chronic, some injuries, which can lead to kind of chronic pain, right? You know, back injuries, neck injuries, knee injuries. You can kind of go to gamut if you look on um, any of the veterans or VA sites about what the most common things that people are claiming. Um, and so these are young people who have chronic injuries, you know, have lost limbs, and a lot of times, again, they may not think there's any way to kind of get out of that or recover from that. Um, and so, again, they start thinking that they lose their hope and then they, they can tend to also have thoughts of hurting themselves and killing themselves. Now, those are just um, a few, just barely scratching the surface of um, many uh, service-specific factors uh, that could lead to suicide. Um, how do we feel about the role of a non-commissioned officer um, and their responsibility in being able to identify uh, those factors? So we do know just from some research that we've done over the years um, in behavioral health is that, again, good leadership and good friends is really a good um, kind of way to prevent uh, suicide is a good factor because again if people know that there's people that care about them that there's people they can go to to ask for help so right if you're in a you know, we've mentioned finance problems right if you know you can go to your NCO and say hey I need an AER loan the Army Emergency Relief Loan and they're going to be there to support you and provide you that paperwork and get that for you then you you know you know that that's there and versus I'm in this hole there's no way to climb out and I know no one to help me Right, so it's those types of things. If you know that you can go to your NCO and, and ask about certain things, then again, you, you have that sense of hope and you, have, you know that your leadership will protect you and be there and care for you. And again, it's just a good way to help prevent those things. And I realize this goes to a lot of active duty, but, uh, and it, it applies for non-commissioned officers as well. Uh, it applies for non-commissioned officers uh, and, and active duty as well. Um, We've been making a push, uh, at least in the state of Georgia, and I think through the Guard throughout and probably the Reserves, um, to stay in touch with your troops. So we we meet one week in a month, two weeks out of a year. It works out to be a whole lot more than that, obviously. But uh, to say, stay in touch with your soldiers throughout the month, uh, to stay in touch with them. And in the same way, don't let you know quitting time be the only time that you know about your soldiers. Know about them, know about their families, know what's going on in their lives. Um, you have a responsibility to them um, as a soldier, uh, not just during the workday, but also to them as a soldier, uh, to minister to them as a whole, to, to find out exactly what it is that's going on in their lives. And 
non-commissioned officers, good non-commissioned officers to me, seem to be key or paramount to finding these things, to uh, whether it be preventing or to know somebody's a little bit off. That's, that's who is my bread and butter who comes to me and says, hey, chaplain, uh, for one, they might say, I need you to go see the chaplain, or they might say, chaplain, I've got this soldier, can you go see if they want to talk to you at all? So, um, yeah, paramount, paramount. Staying in touch with um, your soldiers throughout the month is, is actually a good point, um, especially being a National Guard soldier. Um, but even in the, the active environment, um, so I feel that brings um, uh, or requires a great deal of responsibility. What is the extent of the NCO's responsibility um, in identifying those risk factors and actually seeing to it that a soldier gets the, the proper help or attention that they need. Like I said, if, if you build a good kind of uh, leadership team and kind of working environment, you'll notice. And so I always say, if you do the work up front, it's less work in the end. So um, I tell everyone, if you set up a good environment, you set up a good team, you set up just a, a good relationship, as soon as you know your soldiers get to your unit, you set up all your squad leaders for success and every other NCO that's in your chain to say, this is how we want to do leadership. This is how we take care of our soldiers. People will come to you. You won't have to actually do the work to track down the service member. Everyone will come to you because they know. Um, there's actually like a quote by Colin Powell, who was you know great uh, General Colin Powell. He says, um, when people stop coming to you with their problems, you fail at leadership. So. You know, that is what leadership is. You want people to come to you. You want to set up the environment so that you're not, you don't have to work too hard. You know, it, the system will work itself if you do a lot of the upfront. And some of our job is making sure the resources are available um, once, once you have that established to make sure they know the military one source number, to make sure they know the um, uh, the number to behavioral health or, or the number to the chaplain or where they're located. Um, for us to be out there, you know, that's, then it kind of becomes our job so they have those tools. And uh, I think we do a good job of that. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, and having people, you know, having behavioral health, the chaplain just come down so that people don't see it as, a, again, like that stigma, you know, we're normal people. Um, it's not a punishment to go to behavioral health, mm -hmm. to go to the chaplain. It is really kind of, we care about you, their resource, you know, use them, because we're all, we're all in it together, so. Resource, resources is um, a word that I pulled from both of you. Uh, uh, I, um, it's a great segue. Uh, I, I have three words for you, uh, and I want us to talk about them. Um, ask, care, and escort. Uh, that is the Army ACE program. Um, let's let's get into that. Um, tell us a little bit about the ACE program. You may know more about it. Okay. Well, yeah. Again, it's the the Army program, and it's kind of same thing we've kind of been talking about. Um, is that you want to ask the person, right? If they are going to hurt themselves, they're going to kill themselves, they're thinking about suicide, and then you want to do that caring portion. You know, if you have the space and opportunity, right? Sit and listen, find out a little bit, kind of what's going on. Um, and then you want to escort them to someone who has a little bit more training, <laughs> who can get them the assistance they need. And so that's where we kind of come in. Where, and if you, you know, are a junior enlisted soldier, getting them to an NCO, getting them to an officer, and say, hey, this is something I may not be able to manage, but can we, you know, get them up to the, the appropriate kind of resources? So again, asking 
record the information, showing that you care, and then getting them to that kind of higher level. Okay, so we've got really gotten into the um, ask portion of it, just putting it out there, uh, getting ahead of it. Um, let's talk about the, the care portion of that. Um, care, does that mean uh, if I've identified some risk factors with the soldier that I am um, making the time in my day to sit down and hear out all of that person's problems? Or what, is, what does that really mean, like care, to care? So again, right? If you've done kind of, you've set it up the space, then the, you should know a little bit about kind of what's going on. So you should be able to kind of see that change. And you, you are, again, just just asking, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do for you? It doesn't mean, you know, you're not the psychologist, you're not the chaplain. It's not like you don't have to take hours out of your day to be able to do um, this thing. It's just really just showing that you think of that person as a person, um, not just a soldier, not just an E-whatever, and that you you know want to be there for them and you're going to try to get them to that someone who can spend the time to dig into it a little bit more it doesn't mean you have to dig into all of their personal problems and then we have escort so um as two resources uh, for the army um, i know that i could escort a soldier to uh, behavioral health or to the chaplain um let's first uh, talk a little bit more specifically about what each of you do for the Army with regard to uh, the, the topic of suicide awareness and prevention? Either, either way. Um, uh, my job is, is spiritual care. Uh, you could call it pastoral care or spirit, spiritual care. Uh, I'm not just, um, just a preacher for Sunday mornings, but um, caring for uh, a soldier holistically. Um, that's why recently one of our uh, uh, other K4, uh, other nationals asked me, you know, is it okay for you to minister to a soldier if they're a different uh, faith than you? I said, yes, of course, because I care for them holistically, and that's part of the reason we're a good team. Um, and I just talked to um, our executive officer about this because, we, of course, we need to care for the soldier physically. Physically, something the Army does very well. You know, we, we encourage them to do PT, encourage people to get health and exercise, which usually helps all the chemicals and endorphins and everything in the body. Uh, but then also, uh, not just uh, physically but emotionally, to make sure they're cared for emotionally, that they're, they have going on what they're supposed to, and spiritually. Spiritually is an aspect that um, some, of the, some, some people will say that's not necessarily not, not necessary in our world, but it is. Um, we see it especially, say, with moral injury or, or things that are going on in a soldier's life. Uh, the spiritual aspect of a soldier's life um, will uh, impact them, will impact them emotionally and then at some point physically. And um, uh, hopefully if, if we can keep their spiritual life going well, um, then everything else, everything else, and if, and if we can get them cared for emotionally and spiritually, then everything else will start to fall into place. So hypothetically, um, I'm a soldier who, or we have a soldier, not me. Um, we have a soldier who is not um, a religious person or um, spiritual or has um, a certain faith that they believe in. Are you still a resource uh, that I could seek out for counsel? Absolutely, and that's what I mean. I care for you as a whole, as a as a soldier, um, whoever you are, in any way, shape, or form. And every every chaplain strives to be this person, you know, and if you were somebody of a faith different than mine, I'm still going to try to make sure you're cared for in your faith. But even if you were, and I, and I have soldiers come to me who have, um, who, who are, who, who have no faith background or, or who uh, don't, um, 
uh, what was I going to say, don't, don't attach themselves to a certain faith, but they still come to me because uh, things still make a difference spiritually. Um, if you have, you know, say if you have uh, something has happened when you're on deployment or you're going through a divorce, that is going to affect you spiritually. Not just emotionally and not just uh, physically. It's going to, to affect the spiritual side of what you do. So it's not just about religion. Uh, spirituality is, is a, a whole a whole other factor and things will impact you that way, especially something that's close to the vest. Like I said, we'd said earlier, something that happens with a family member, something that happens uh, financially, something that happens um, you know, with, uh, with your occupation. Uh, when I went to the VA to um, to study, they said they said if the person loses his job before they come in the hospital, do you think that's going to affect them spiritually? Absolutely, and that affects their lives in in every way, shape, or form. And then they affect other people's lives. So um, hopefully, I can give them resources to turn to. But if nothing else, just to be able to do self care and to be able to um, uh, try to stabilize that portion of their lives. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, another great thing too, Ray, I always tell people, just so the chaplain has absolute confidentiality. Confidentiality, yeah. that's so that's the other reason they come to me. That's, so. so that's a great way that people come and they know that whatever they say, you know, stays there. Like, for instance, I have limits to my confidentiality, so if you tell me you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt someone else, there, you know, I have to be able to break that and, and um, get you to, you know, a different level of care so we can make sure that you're safe, that you take away any kind of um, access to any kind of things that will harm you. Um, but if so, if someone does come to me, and a chaplain does encourage individuals, even though he has the absolute confidentiality, that's why we're kind of a team, he's, he encourages, like, hey, just a little bit outside of my realm, maybe get you over to kind of Major Pittman or a psychologist. And so when they come to me, I really delve into kind of what's going on, kind of doing a very kind of thorough, comprehensive background, figuring out kind of, you know, what's causing their concerns, what's causing their problems. We try to come up with um, a plan of care. So for instance, if they are suicidal, you know, we can think about what's a safety plan. Um, do we need to get you to a higher level of care where you may need to be in a place where you don't have access to any weapons or anything that's going to harm you um, for a period of time? Do we just need to take you off shift and, you know, have you rest? You know, come up with some kind of way to have a plan of care. Um, and then from there, we also do, you know, we can treat whatever the underlying problem is, right? So if you have stress, you know, we have certain techniques that we do to help you manage your stress, um, your anxiety, your anger. And so we can do any kind of follow-up care to manage those substance abuse treatment. Um, and so we meet and just kind of talk through a lot of the things that's going on. And as a team, we work collaboratively to kind of figure out what's the best techniques that I know as an expert that you can use in your life because you, you know people know themselves and we come up with a team approach to kind of help the service member or the soldier um, the person get better from whatever is bothering them okay so we we've talked about um, seeking out help from the chaplain and behavioral health uh, what other types of resources or support are there for soldiers or service members who may have suicidal thoughts or are affected by suicide. I want you to start with the active duty side because you're far more aware. So, you know, if they don't uh, come, so if they have suicide ideation, you know, we come to behavior helps is the best bet because we're going to get you to the um, proper resources. Um, but if you 
don't want to come, if you have any concerns or problems that you don't want to come to uh, Behavioral Health, we also, you know, people can use military warrant swords. They can, uh, we have military family life consultants, which are MFLAX is kind of the term, that they also can um, go to and see. Um, they can talk to their primary care provider as well, you know, just and see if there's um, also anything that's, other things they can going on, medication management, those types of things as well. But those are kind of the main resources. But all in all, the best thing is to just talk to someone, right? You know, if something's going on, you need to open the circle up and talk to someone so that you can get access to resources. Okay, so we have uh, talked about the importance of the NCO, uh, but can we also talk about the importance of battle buddies in the Army and how they act as the front line in surveillance and detection for high-risk behavior? So again, the you know, battle buddy is probably the main one who's probably going to do the, the ask care and escort that we talked about, the ACE, because they are the ones who are with, you know, you're with each other all the time, right? Your battle buddy is the one you walk to child with, you go work out with. And so they'll, they'll be the main ones that notice when someone has changed or they just start disappearing. And so they are the front line to do that first, ask care and escort, and then trying to move up the chain to all those resources. Battle buddies are usually who bring, um, bring people to me. Um, and then often I may end up suggesting they go see to a behavioral health um, if it comes to that. Uh, but battle buddies are again paramount and even the NCOs who bring their soldiers to to one of us usually I find the battle buddy has gone to the NCO and said hey have you noticed so-and-so is acting out of character so the system that we've got in the military is is fantastic when it works you know when when folks really are caring for each other and like I said I've known of folks with something as simple as um, they said goodbye or or they started seeing them acting a little bit different um, hopefully they'll get word out or, or, or say something before they get to that point. But uh, yeah, the battle buddy is just paramount. Battle buddy system seems to be paramount. Yeah, and I always encourage people, right? So some people, you know, hesitate because it's like, oh, the person may get mad at me or may be upset because I'm, you know, asking about this or I told the NCO about this. You know, just think about what would happen if you didn't do it, right? <laughs> They're mad at you, but if something would have happened, how, you know, you will feel your buddy's not there. So. You got to balance that out. So, you know, do the, do the greater good. And what would you recommend for a soldier who um, may notice some, some high-risk behavior in their battle buddy that is afraid to confront that behavior? Um, what, type, what, what would the outlet be for that? So again, if they don't feel comfortable doing it kind of one-on-one, grab another battle buddy, right? And grab mm -hmm. an NCO and be like, I think something's going on with, you know, you know, Private Snuffy, but I don't know, he might swing at me because he's been acting out lately. Can you come with me to talk to him kind of thing? And, you know, you know form a team. You know, you gotta, it's, it could be a team approach. But again, you want to weigh it out. Would you have said, you know, look back and say, crap, I should have said something. I, I saw this, you know, or do you just want to take the hit now? And often you'll have, you'll have another buddy who also noticed something, yeah. you know, and so they're very willing to go with you. Um, and yeah, again, just don't be afraid to go ahead and bring it up, to go ahead and ask the, the hard questions. And if you're really the battle buddy that you should be, you should be noticing these things, and, and it should be okay to be honest and open and forthright 
and say, hey, are you considering hurting yourself? Are you considering suicide? Are you considering killing yourself? Is that what's on the table? So, so uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org um, has tips for um, suicide attempt survivors. Mm -hmm. um, it lists things like find an activity you enjoy, uh, talk to someone, have a, a support network, uh, find a therapist or support group, uh, make a safety plan, um, as you mentioned, and uh, find a counselor. Are there recommendations that you both have uh, for someone who may have attempted suicide? That's a really great list. So mm -hmm. yeah, everything you said yeah. <laughs> is really great. And I always say, so I know in this day and age we have, you know, so many gadgets and phones, so people actually don't write as much stuff down, but kind of like, I think writing plans down. So if you know you have a tendency, you maybe to isolate, to pull back, to not engage, you know, in activities, those types of things, you, you may just need to write down like a plan and put it in your calendar, put calendar reminders, write down like today I will do X, Y, and Z, right? <laughs> um, and do it, you know? So, you know, if you know you may have a tendency to go to your room and take a nap because you're stressed, say, nope, I'm gonna go to the gym at that time. So, you know, to kind of keep yourself busy and, you know, and then, you know, also maybe keep it, have other people help you keep accountable of that. You know, get a gym partner, get a defect lunchroom partner so that they can help you pull yourself out when you, you might start kind of sliding back down again. And there are several apps that the military actually has. Um, uh, one, uh, they were suggested to us by our J9, so I downloaded all of them. And, and uh, some of them are about counseling and about thinking about some. Some of them are uh, just how to go through meditation, how to mark down how you're feeling and whatnot. Um, I'll try to get a, a list of those before we leave. But um, there's, there's a few apps, since we live in an app-driven society now, uh, that are very helpful in that. Yeah, there's one good one uh, called the Virtual Hope Box. Um, and so it's a DOD app that, you know, what you actually do is put things in there that's going to keep you hopeful, right? So you can actually add pictures, music, relaxation things. And so they used to, it, it became virtual because in therapy there, we used to actually create a physical hope box. You just get like a shoe box. You just put notes to yourself, pictures to yourself, and that'll be something that if you start feeling down, you can pull out. So now in this like, app-driven world, they have what they call the virtual whole box. And it's a free app you can download. You can even, if you have uh, you know, a phone, like I have it on my phone, you have to open it with a thumbprint so no one can just get in there and you know get in your information. So those types of things, it's just really making a plan for yourself and then you know seeing if there's other people who can help keep you accountable to that plan. Okay, well, I want to thank you both uh, for joining us today. Um, suicide awareness and prevention um, is a serious conversation, not only for the month of September, but um, year long. Um, it's something that we have to uh, participate in actively to look out for um, not only our soldiers and service members, but um, our families and our friends um, who are civilians as well. Um, I just want to say to our listeners and viewers, um, if you are feeling in a space or a place where you um, don't feel like you have anyone to talk to and you are have feelings, having feelings of suicide, um, there are resources. I admonish you to take advantage of them. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-SUICIDE or 800-784-2433. 
The Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-966-1020. You can chat online at suicidelifeline.org. And if you don't feel like you want to speak to someone but just want to um, read about real life stories about people who have attempted suicide and are now thankful to be alive, uh, you can check that out at livethroughthis.org. This has been a Rock or Something podcast and I'm Specialist Linwood Thomas.